Okay, let's pray together, and we'll ask God to meet us in the Word. Lord, thank you so much for just the riches of your grace that you've been pouring out upon us this morning. Lord, through the worship and spiritual gifts, so helpful, and then these testimonies that have been shared. And I do thank you for this body, Lord, that that the vast majority of the ministry that takes place in this place happens through the body. And that's how you've created the body to function, and so I praise you that that's happening. And, and Lord, now we want to open up your word. What a gift in the scriptures. And Lord, you have something special you want to say to every single one of us here today in this passage. And I pray, help me to be a vessel of your work. Help me to get out of the way and let your word speak. And I pray for your help to do that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 13 this morning. So we're coming to the end of Philippians. This has been an amazing series. I'm so thankful to be able to preach powerful books like this. And we're wrapping it up. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Because we'd like to bring one to you. So I'd like to say the most important words that you're going to read here this morning are in the Bible. Not mine, but, but the Bible's words. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Philippians 4 is on page 982. So go ahead and turn there. Now in this passage, Paul tells us that he has learned a secret. He's learned the secret of how to be content. So Paul has learned how to feel content, at peace, satisfied, no matter what's going on around him. Makes no difference. Paul's learned the secret of how to be content. So how about us? Have you learned the secret about being content? And when we come to this topic of contentment, I would guess that each of us probably falls into one of three categories. Okay, see if, if you fit one of these. Some of us here this morning, uh, you're not content, but you know you will be as soon as one of your circumstances changes. Okay, you, as soon as you retire, finally, or as soon as you get married, or have kids, or as soon as you get the promotion, or as soon as somebody in your life changes, right? So you think that as soon as one of your circumstances changes, then you're going to be content. What Paul says in this passage is going to shock you, because you're wrong. And he's got better news for you than that. That's the first group. You, you're not content, but you think you will be as soon as one of your circumstances changes. Okay. Second category of people is uh, you, you've learned the secret that Paul's going to share here about how to be content, but you need to work on living it more. Okay, that's probably many of us. Okay, you've, you've learned the secret, but knowing it is one thing, doing it is another. And so Paul is going to give us help in this passage, not just for knowing what the secret is, but for how to live it out. So if that's you, Paul's got good news for you. Third category. Some of us in this group, in this room, you're, you're not content and you've given up on ever being content. You've been so disappointed so many times, so discouraged so often, have had so many hopes dashed and dreams not fulfilled and prayers not answered that you don't think you're ever going to be content. And I tell you, what Paul says in this passage is good news for you this morning. So let's look at what he says. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. He starts off talking about a financial gift that the church in Philippi had finally been able to give to him. Okay, so that's what verse 10 is talking about. Let's start there. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, now in verse 10, Paul talks about this financial gift. The readers had shown concern for him by giving this financial gift to him. Paul had been low on money. Remember, Paul's in prison. And prisons in those days, they didn't supply anything for free. If you wanted to eat, you had to have money or friends who'd bring it to you. And so Paul had gone through a season here where he'd been low on money and the believers in Philippi had been concerned for him, but they hadn't had the opportunity. They hadn't been able to get the money to him. And finally, after a lengthy period of Paul being low on money in prison, the gift came. And so Paul wants to thank them for this gift. So he mentions the gift in verse 10. But as you keep reading, what I noticed was he doesn't actually get around to thanking them until verses 14 down to about verse 20. So I asked the question, what's going on in verses 10 through 13? And what Paul is doing in verses 10, verses 11 through 13, I mean, in verses 11 through 13, what Paul is doing is he wants to make sure they understand that even though he was without money, he was not discontent. He was not bitter. He was not frustrated. During that time when he was low on money, he was content. And he wants to explain to them how. How was he able to be content during that season where he was low on money, which would have meant being low on food, maybe not having blankets, who knows what all he suffered during that time. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. That's Paul's point in verses 10 through 13. So let's raise this first question just to start with. Don't want to assume anything here. What does Paul mean by contentment? What does it mean to be content? When he uses that word, what does he mean? As I looked at these verses, I found two clues in verse 11. The first one's in the first half of verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So contentment, in Paul's thinking, means not being in need. Now, does that mean contentment means having everything? No. Look again at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, so this is kind of interesting. Verse 11, being content means not being in need while you're facing need. See that? Verse 11, verse 12. Being content means not being in need while you're facing need. And so I think what Paul is saying here is that you can have needs circumstantially in your situation but not be feeling needy emotionally. Does that make sense? You can have needs around you in your environment, circumstances, life, but your heart is full. 
You're not feeling needy. So that was my first clue, is noticing the two ways he talks about need in verse 11 and 12. Second clue for what contentment is, is found in the word, end of verse 11, the word content. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Okay, so that's the Greek word autarke. What does it mean, though? So I looked up in two New Testament Greek dictionaries. One said it means to be satisfied, happy. The other one said this word means to have a happy state of mind. Okay, so putting these two clues together, contentment means feeling satisfied, at peace, happy, even when I have needs around me. Now, let me just clarify two things contentment does not mean. It does not mean not having any desires for anything else. That's the Hindu approach to contentment. In Hinduism, the way to get content is stop desiring. Your problem is you're desiring. Stop desiring. It's not the biblical approach, okay? So Paul was content in the Lord, and yet he was praying, God, please bring provide money. He wanted the financial support to come, but his heart was full, content, peace, and happy in the Lord in the meantime. So it's not not having desire. So how can you tell if a desire is discontentment or contentment? The way I can tell, and I think you'll probably agree with this, is that when a desire is making you frustrated, bitter, despondent, hopeless, ornery with other people, okay, when your desire is making you be that way, then you're not content. But if you say, I would love to have some money come, but Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm at peace. Then you're being content. So contentment means feeling peace, satisfaction, happiness, even though there's problems around you. But that doesn't mean you're, you're desire less. It means you're entrusting your desires to the Lord. You still have them. Like Paul longed to see believers following Christ. But if a believer wasn't following Christ, Paul wasn't getting frustrated about it. He wasn't fuming about it, right? Oh, Lord, please touch this person. But I trust you, Lord. He was content. See the difference? Are we good on that one? So that's one thing it doesn't mean. A second thing contentment doesn't mean is it doesn't mean never sorrowing or grieving. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, we quote this verse a lot here because it's so important to understand, says that he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's the truth of Paul's heart. You can sorrow about people who are drifting from the Lord. You can sorrow about losing your husband to cancer. You can sorrow about things. That's things you love, things you care for. When you lose them, you sorrow. That's true. That's right. But at the same time, oh Lord, you're my prize. You're my treasure. Comfort me. Help me. And the Lord can sorrow with you and meet you as you sorrow in him. Does that make sense? So don't want to, don't want to be kind of one-dimensional here as we're talking about our emotional lives. So contentment doesn't mean no desires, and it doesn't mean no sorrowing or grieving. It means contentment, satisfaction, peace, fullness of heart, and joy, even though there's needs around you. That's contentment. So it would mean feeling satisfied and at rest and at peace, even if you haven't found the job yet. It would mean being content and at rest, even when you're stuck in traffic on the 280. It would mean being 
content and at peace while your, your children are drifting. Oh, Lord, touch them, help them. I'm trusting you. That's contentment, okay? Let's just get real here. And all of us need to work on this, right? None of us here are content all the time. I certainly am not. We all need to work on this. So, Paul, that's not easy. Paul, you tell us you've learned the secret. What's the secret, Paul? What is the secret of contentment? That's the next question. Now, before I answer that, let me tell you about a radio talk show I was listening to two weeks ago. I was driving somewhere. I forget where I was going. And I was listening to this radio talk show, and they were talking about this passage. They were talking about contentment. And the longer I listened, I feel like they were completely missing what Paul is saying here. They said something that was helpful, and that is that the enemy of contentment very often is comparison, right? Where you compare yourself to other people, and you compare yourself unfavorably compared to them who are in a more favorable condition. So that was helpful. So they they talked about the example, like if you're looking at Facebook and your friend posts a picture of this dinner they're enjoying in the Bahamas, and you compare yourself, there you are at home eating your top ramen, you know, and they're enjoying this incredibly looking dinner in the Bahamas. And so this, this, this discontent just wells up. I don't have that. I would like that. That's what I need. I, would, I want that. And so comparison can make us discontent. Okay, so far so good. But, but they said the way to overcome that is to realize that other people don't have it as good as it looks. Other people are, have it just as bad as you do. Because what they said is that even though you see this picture on Facebook of this dinner in the Bahamas, what your friend didn't tell you was that they had an eight-hour layover on the way to the Bahamas, and it rained, poured rain for the first three days in the Bahamas. So other people have it just as bad as you do. That was the secret to contentment? There's two huge problems with that approach. One, the biggest one, it completely misses what Paul is saying in this passage. Just skirts right over it. Okay? Huge problem. Second problem is, there's times when other people are doing better than you, circumstantially. <laughs> Let's not play games here. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't care about an eight-hour layover or about pouring rain for the first three days. I just would like to be in the Bahamas! Right? So that approach does not work. What is the secret? Now, I wanted to share that radio talk show illustration just to to challenge you to be carefully studying God's word and to be discerning of things that you hear. We don't want to be hypercritical, right? Straining out gnats and swallowing camels, but just be discerning. Be discerning. And I felt like what they said on that radio talk show was not helpful. What's the secret? It's in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, what what comes into the category of all things? It's the things in verse 12, right? The way to answer questions like that is to look at the context. This is the all things he's talking about. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, okay, get it, any and every circumstance, any and every circumstance, that's all things, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. And he had just been in a time of hunger and need in prison without much money. So Paul is saying that the reason he can be content in any and every circumstance is because Jesus Christ strengthens him. Now be careful at this point. It is so easy to just have that become a cliche. It's not a cliche. The Apostle Paul knew he had times when the living Jesus Christ, who has been from eternity past fully God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who grew up in Palestine, who healed the sick, taught the gospel, cast out demons, who was nailed to a cross, died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God. Paul had times where the living Jesus came to him and strengthened him. Paul had times where the living Jesus came to him and in a, in a heart-changing, experiential, profoundly personal way, the living Jesus came and where Paul had been weak, Jesus came and Paul was strengthened. So don't let Jesus strengthen you. Just be a cliche. Jesus Christ comes to us and he strengthens us in such a way that the result of that is we, in very needy places, are completely content. Jesus can strengthen us. There's something he can do that will so strengthen us that our hearts are at peace, our hearts are full, our hearts have joy, There's something that Jesus can do to so strengthen us that our hearts go from being discontent to being content. That's what Paul is saying the secret is. So then the next question is, what is it that Jesus does? And I looked at the surrounding context of these verses and I couldn't find any answer to that question in these surrounding verses here. But back in chapter 3, Paul has already told us. So look at Philippians 3 verses 7 and 8. Here Paul tells us what Jesus does for us that will so strengthen us that we are content and peaceful and happy in every and all situations. What does Jesus do? Philippians 3, 7 and 8. He says, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now notice, first of all, we can know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is more than just words in a book, although he is the truth of this word. He is the word. Okay, so he is taught in these words. These words are crucial. God's words, vital. But Jesus is more than just words in a book. He's more than just doctrines to be believed. Although doctrines to be believed are crucial. You can't know Jesus unless you believe doctrines. But he's more than just words in a book or doctrines to be believed. Jesus Christ is a real living being who you can know. You can know him. Trust him. Talk with him. You can pour your soul out before him. You can fellowship with him. You can worship him. You can rely on him. You can ask him for help. You can know Jesus Christ. And knowing Jesus Christ, I mean, just think about who Jesus is. This being who we can really know. He is so loving. 
so good, so powerful, so completely sovereign over everything. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. This being you know he has all authority over everything. Everything in your life he has authority over. He is so merciful, so compassionate, so glorious. You can know this being, and Jesus is so compassionate, loving, wise, powerful, sovereign, glorious, that when you know him, you are experiencing the surpassing worth in the universe. When you know Jesus Christ, you are experiencing that which is the surpassing worth in the entire universe. Jesus Christ is. And because you're experiencing the surpassing worth of knowing him, your heart is so full, you can count everything else as loss. So this is what Jesus does for us. He can come and make his presence that real to us. That surpassing worth of knowing him will so fill us that we can count everything else as loss in comparison because we have the surpassing worth. We can lose everything else and still be at peace and full of joy and contentment because we have Christ, our surpassing worth. That's what Jesus Christ can do for us. That's how he can strengthen us so we are completely satisfied. Now let me give you an illustration. Got some props here. What do we have? Okay, this is good. All right. Let's say you are really hungry. Okay? And in front of you, there's this plate of saltine crackers. All right? Saltine crackers. And so you're, you're hungry, and you're looking at this plate of saltine crackers, and you're thinking, okay, this is, this is good. I'm hungry. And so you're content because any moment now, you can pick up one of those saltine crackers, and, and your, your hunger is going to start to be dealt with. Okay, so you're hungry, got the saltine crackers there, and you are content. Now, what if you don't have saltine crackers anymore? Okay, or actually, what if, what if somebody else has the saltine crackers? Okay. Now, here you are, all right, and, and you're hungry. you got to hold them. you got to hold the saltine crackers, okay? You're, you're, you're hungry, and she has this. There's the Bahamas trip right there, right? So she's got the saltine crackers, okay? Now, now you're discontent, right? Because you're hungry, and you don't have the saltine crackers. Okay, now... Paul says there's a secret to being content. And what many of us do at this point is make a mistake. We think, okay, I'm supposed to be content here. You know, just, right? I've just got to be content. So just, okay, be at peace. Stop thinking about the saltine, salty, crunchy crackers. Stop thinking about those. Okay, just, so, right? A lot of us try to, we just try to, Make ourselves feel contentment. That is not what verse 13 is talking about. That is not the secret. Okay? Because has Christ come and strengthened you in that process? <laughs> no. That's just you trying to be content. Anybody can try to do that. It doesn't work very well. So what does Jesus do? Oh, this is beautiful. Okay? What Jesus... Oh, my goodness. Oh, Jesus. This is going to be really fun to talk about. Okay, now, this is a plate of chocolate chip cookies. Thick. Fresh out of the oven. Chocolate chips just slightly melty. And so what happens is Jesus will come to you and he will bring you 
this plate of chocolate chip cookies, maybe with a nice big glass of milk next to it. So here you are, you're hungry, and he's just brought you the, the surpassing worth, okay? Does this surpass the worth of the saltine crackers? Yes, it does. So if he's just brought you this, are you still feeling discontent about the saltine crackers? I'm not hearing much confidence there. So if he's just brought you this, we aren't against saltine crackers, just an illustration, okay? So if he's just brought you this, you are no longer discontent about the saltine crackers, are you? Are you, are you thinking about the saltine crackers? Have you totally forgotten about the saltine crackers? Pretty much, okay? Unless, I don't know, I would have. So this is what Jesus does. So the knowledge of Christ is the surpassing worth. So whether it's crackers or trips to the Bahamas or the promotion or faster traffic or whatever it might be, Jesus is the surpassing worth. And he can make himself so real to you that you, in fact, it's the verse that Patty opened up in prayer with this morning. Psalm 37. No, 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. That's not because the author has such incredible willpower that he can stop desiring those other things. It's because when you receive the surpassing worth, your heart is so filled to overflowing. Now, you might want to, I'm going to tell your friend about about the surpassing worth of Jesus. Okay? Right? So, right? We, just kidding. No, no, no. Right? I mean, we want to share the surpassing worth. We just kind of go around through life, okay? We're sharing the surpassing worth of Jesus with other people. So it's not a comparison thing. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, we'll talk afterwards. So this is how Jesus strengthens us so we are content. Contentment is not a matter of willpower, trying not to desire things you really want. Contentment is having your heart be more satisfied in Christ than it could be with anything else that you've wanted and you're filled, and you're content. Now, that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. That's what verse 13 means. When Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, the way he strengthens us is by doing chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. As we, as we walk with Christ, as we pray, as we worship, as we feast on who he is in the word, he will give us times where we are tasting the surpassing worth of who he is. Okay? Now, why then are we discontent? So, Because when you become a Christian, it's like you receive the chocolate chip cookies. The problem is that so often our sin blinds us to this. I couldn't think of a way to... No, let me just maybe try it this way. Okay, that, okay, so this is sin, okay? And sin, not... I can't still see it, okay? So, so sin <laughs> blinds us. And so if you're, whenever you're feeling discontent, the problem isn't that Jesus is gone. The problem isn't that he has stopped being the surpassing worth. The problem is that your sin and unbelief has blinded you to Jesus. We all struggle with that throughout the day, right? so important to understand what the problem is. So then what can we do? That's the last question. How can we experience this heart-strengthening work of Christ? So I want to get real tangible and real specific here. I mean, think right now about something that's giving you some level of discontentment right now. Okay, we've all got them. Maybe you're not feeling discontent right now, but you have this last week or you will this coming week or maybe you are right now. So think of something that's making you discontent, something that you, you're frustrated about, you're bitter about, you're bothered about, it's angering you, it's making you feel hopeless, it's giving you despair, 
discouragement. Okay? It's all discontentment. Here's what I would encourage you to do. How do we experience this strengthening work of Christ? Let me give you... In fact, you can turn this into an, into an acronym. So see if, 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 if you like this, if this helps you. It's the TCT app. Right? Get it? App? Okay? TCT app. So here's, here's what the letters mean. TCT and then APP. So first, turn... The first word is turn. Turn to Jesus Christ just as you are. Okay, so, so here you are, and you're, you're blind. You're just not seeing. You're not feeling it about Jesus. You're feeling it about the Bahamas. You're feeling it about the saltine crackers. You're feeling it about the new car or whatever it might be. You're just not feeling it about Jesus. So what do you do? The first step is you turn to him as you are. Don't, don't try to change your heart first. You can't change your heart without coming to him. You come to him. You say, well, how can I come to him if I've got sinful and belief in my heart? It's because of the cross. You say, Jesus, help me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You look to Jesus Christ and you, and you trust him. Okay, so you come to him just as you are. Don't try to change yourself first. Come to him as you are. Don't, don't think, well, they don't have it as good as it looks like they do. No, just come to Jesus. Okay, that's the first step. So T, and then the second word is C, confess. Confess that you're feeling discontent because your sin is blinding you to who he is. I mean, if you were seeing him as he is, you wouldn't be discontent. If you're not seeing him as he is, it's because your sin is blinding you. So, to, so confess that. Forgive me, Father, through Jesus. Forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for my sin. I'm making this into an idol. I'm thinking that this is the surpassing worth that I need to be satisfied, and I know it's not, but I'm feeling that. Forgive me. So you confess it to him. And then third, so you've got turn, confess, TC, and then T, TCT. The third word is trust. Trust that by faith alone, you're completely forgiven for that sin. And you're clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness because of his death on the cross and his blameless life. So you're forgiven through the cross. You're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. By faith alone, you're, just, you're looking and saying, Father, I trust you. I trust your Holy Son. Because of that, you can be completely assured that you are forgiven. Forgiven. That the Father is rejoicing over you. That he's passionate about helping you, caring for you, loving you. He's dancing over you. He's singing over you. He's delighting over you. You say, but my heart is still full of unbelief and sin. Yes, but you're, you're trusting. You're, you're looking. I trust you. You're, you're going to help me. You're going to change me. You're, you're my Savior. That's faith. Faith alone. The Father loves you. He's singing over you. Turn, confess, trust. Fourth, ask. Ask Jesus to strengthen your faith so you once again see and feel his surpassing worth. Ask him to do that for you, to strengthen your faith. TCT and then app. A, ask. And then fifth, ponder. Ponder verses in the scripture which describe Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he promises to do, ponder verses about Jesus. That's just like, it's like you put the, put the Bible like right here, okay? It's like right here, okay? It's the Bible's. And, and as you ponder, you've, you've asked God to help you, you've asked for more of the work of the Holy Spirit, you're looking at the scriptures, as you, as you pray and ponder, you will start to see the sin dissolve away and you will start to see Okay, but, but until that happens, there's the last word, which is the last P, and that's persevere. Persevere in asking 
persevere in pondering until your heart is changed, until you feel faith rising up, until you see and feel, once again, Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure, until the sin, sin has, sin's power is gone and you start to see Christ as who he is again, and then you can um, enjoy, okay? Six steps. TCT app. God promises that when we ask him for help, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit, this precious work of the Holy Spirit, this sin-destroying, sight-restoring work of the Holy Spirit? How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. So we ask for the work of the Spirit, we wield the sword of the Spirit, and the Spirit goes to work, and over time, our hearts will change. That can happen in five seconds, it may take longer, but we just keep persevering. We trust Him. He's going to help us. Okay. What questions does this raise? Just to clarify, make sure that we're... Yes, sir. Ben. Something wrong? There's something wrong that I, that I do. Okay. That, uh, like somebody, uh, you see somebody that's content, you say, well, they're content. And you turn around, you turn your back, and you walk away, and you forget that person. You know, you don't have to think about that person anymore because they're content and you don't have to worry about them. Um, I, I don't think that's... Don't, I don't think that's right. I think uh, just because somebody's content, you forget about them. Right. And I mean, do they are are they really content? Right? Because we can we can share the cookies with them, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. They're fully in content with with what where they're at. Circumstances are good, right? But their hearts are empty. Their their, their hearts are empty. They don't have the surpassing worth. Right. Um, should I go ahead and move on, or uh, stay with the person that's content? And, uh, uh, if I understand your question right, I mean, maybe if I'm missing it, somebody else help me here. But um, if they don't know the Lord, and if you have, if you, if you know them and you and you have a relationship with them, and you could share the gospel, tell them about the cookies, right? Um, and if they do know the Lord and they're content in the Lord, we, you can celebrate that with them. You can enjoy cookies together. Um, so we want to love people. We're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves. So whatever would be most loving to this person is what we want to do. Yeah, I think the best thing that would be for myself is not to turn away and say that person's content and just forget him. Yes. Good. I think you're right. Thank you. Somebody else? Ian. Uh, you don't have to bear with me. It's actually more of a statement. Uh, go, for, go for it. Yeah. I feel like it's something that's going to my heart. Hopefully it encourages others. Good. I used to read verses like this and assume that my sinfulness was desiring something that was above a common expectation for life. So the Bahamas example. I was desiring the Bahamas, but really I should just be content with the family road trip. 
I was desiring to go out to Alexander's, but really I should just be content making Trader Joe's spaghetti meatballs at home. And, and I think the challenge is, is that you read what Paul said. He wasn't even getting the Trader Joe's spaghetti and meatballs. He was hungry. Yeah. We could also apply this to cancer. We could apply yes. this to losing our jobs. We yes. apply this to having a child with mental health Yes, yes. Things that are, wait a minute, isn't there a common expectation, baseline of what life should have? Mm. No. No. You know, Paul's talking about losing all things. Yes. Like our health. Yes. Having hunger, possibly losing a child, whatever. I mean, heart grieving, difficult things where we come face to face with. Christ satisfied me in the face of losing these things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you argue, if God really did create all things, couldn't he give us food? Couldn't he give mm-hmm. us health? Mm-hmm. Yes, he can, but this is part of his plan. Losing yes. these things is so we can see more clearly that he is worth more than yes. health, worth more than a stable job, worth more than a spouse that we have an amazing relationship with. He is worth more than that, and by taking these things away, it's a loving process of us seeing he is worth more. Yes. That's gold. Okay. Well said. Thank you. Joe, and then over here, okay? I'm just wondering if you can, this is not how things we can move on, but um, verse 13 seems to be quoted pretty often in Christendom out of context. I'm wondering if you can kind of help solidify that, uh, just in terms of if people use that verse to find out this really fast or. Right. Right. I wonder if you just can speak to that and like how how it applies to our everyday Christian. Yeah, it doesn't apply to those things. It just doesn't apply to those things. It applies to the previous verses. It applies to he can always be content. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's as we lose these things, he will strengthen us more. That's right. That's right. He knows that he gave it to us, so this is part of his loving process. Yes. Yes. Excellent. And this is how he strengthens us. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Josie. Hearted. Nailed it. Okay, that's right. And of course, the reason we can rejoice with those who rejoice in their circumstances is because we've got, we got the surpassing worth, right? And so we can be very happy when others get the job, get the promotion, right? Because if, especially if they got the cookies too, right? We can rejoice because we've got the surpassing worth. So it's very well said. Don't be Grinch hearted. Okay, here's the, here's the wrap up. So the secret to being content is that Jesus can 
strengthen us no matter what the circumstances are, he can strengthen our hearts by so satisfying us in himself that we are completely content no matter what the situation is. And I, I mean that literally, no matter what the situation is. Your, your, your wife dies, okay? Um, you have a child born blind. You lose your job. So we're not, we're not playing games here. This, we're talking about reality here. These things happen. God's in sovereign control. The Bible teaches that he loves us. He's wise. We can trust him. But how can we be content when terrible things like that happen or just everyday ordinary annoyances happen? It's by turning our hearts to Christ and saying, I'm going to turn to you and confess my sin. I'm going to trust forgiveness. I'm going to ask you for the heart-changing work of your spirit. I'm going to ponder the truth of your word. And I'm going to persevere until, in this until I once again see you as my all-satisfying treasure and feel you as my all-satisfying treasure. So church, that's what I want to encourage you to do. Throughout the day, whenever discontentment arises, that's what I want to encourage you to do. Let's stand together. We'll pray. I pray that this week, when discontentment arises in our hearts, that you, Father, because of Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, would help us see what's going on, so we see that sin is blinding us to Christ, and so we would fight the fight of faith, we would pray and ponder the truth of who Jesus is until the wind of the Spirit blows the fog away and we can see once again Jesus Christ in all of his glory and beauty and love and power and majesty and be filled. Strengthen us with that, I pray. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who feels that they've been disappointed so many times that they'll never be content ever. And I pray that you would show them the good news of Jesus Christ who will meet them when they turn to him. I pray that you'd save people here this morning who aren't yet trusting Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.